Hello and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. Most people who work in tech are used to having collaboration tools to help communicate with their team. But for non-desk workers, some of whom don't even have a company email address, connecting with their boss or their peers can be a challenge. Beekeeper aims to bridge that communication gap with a platform for connecting workers, whether they're on their phone or at a desk. So I'm here today with Corey McCarthy from Beekeeper. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. So tell me a little bit about Beekeeper and um, what you provide. Beekeeper is a communication platform for non-disc workers. We connect non-disc workers with the rest of the organization through a very simple-to-use app that allows for peer-to-peer messaging, uh, group messaging, and top-down communication through streams. Okay. So I think most people in the tech world use some sort of collaboration tool to communicate with their peers or their bosses. What's unique about non-desk workers and what they need uh, from their employers and how they communicate? So the non-desk workforce makes up about 80% of the world's workforce and they don't have computers or email addresses in large part. And so it makes it difficult to connect with the rest of the organization. But the adoption of mobile technology has proliferated the market. And so now 84% of, you know, everybody has a mobile device. So what employers are able to take advantage of now that they weren't able to take advantage before in the past is the fact that most of the workers have a mobile device. And interestingly, about 75% of them are already using the mobile devices to speak with each other about work-related issues. And so where we take for granted email and computers, now we're able to finally connect with an entire, you know, and significant portion of the world's population that we haven't been able to connect with on a day-to-day basis or in the moment like we are able to now. Before Beekeeper was around, um, how were these workers usually communicating with either their bosses or their peers? Morse code. Um, it was really old school and it's funny, you know, we are in constant communication with our customers and we'll frequently take groups of beekeepers to, um, the back end of a hotel and you still see a billboard and it's funny to see the time machines where they actually have to punch their card. And so it very much still looks like 1950. So you see printouts of schedules, um, announcements that have happened and the bulletin boards are really the way they are able to communicate information between shifts and to the employees that don't have email addresses or computers. Okay. So I, I guess one way of putting this is that, you know, if you're a non-desk worker, you're probably already messaging your coworkers or you're already messaging your boss, whether it's uh, through SMS or WhatsApp or some other platform. And this is a way for those organizations to sort of bring that communication together all in one place. It is a great way to centralize communication. And a lot of the ways that people are communicating in workaround situations are slightly dangerous because if you take a look at WhatsApp, WhatsApp is a really great consumer messaging app. However, it's not GDPR compliant and it's incredibly difficult to manage from the employer's perspective. So most of the industries that we target have fairly high turnover and to onboard and offboard people from WhatsApp groups. A lot of times managers might not be aware of how many WhatsApp groups exist within their department. And then to take the time to delete that person and their data from that group is incredibly tedious. 
and time consuming in addition to, you know, technologically not secure. I think one of the things that is unique is that there are a lot of tools out there to communicate with, but none of them are accessible by non-desk workers. And so by bringing Beekeeper in, we're able to help connect those people that are inherently disconnected. So you show up to work, you don't have an email address, you don't have a computer, and it's very difficult to have an understanding of what's happening within the organization or what is going to be expected at your job that day. Um, there could have been any number of changes uh, between you know when you last left and when you came back that you're unaware of. So um, there's also a big communication gap between shifts. And I think that that's one of the big differences between knowledge workers and non-desk workers is that idea of a shift. There are a number of different shifts that happen throughout the day and communication gets lost between the shifts and it's almost like a game of telephone. So if the managing director comes and gives a state of the union address to the first shift, but then the managers are responsible for sharing that information to the second shift. And then those managers are responsible for sharing with the third shift. There's a lot of things that can be easily lost in translation. So if you don't have a, an email or a desk or a computer, or you're bringing your own device, how do you initially log in to Beekeeper? Our engineering team has a series of what they call B-hacks, and it allows the engineers the open space to get creative with different issues that they see us being able to potentially solve. And through one of the B-hacks, we actually came up with a QR code sign-in. So for non-disc workers who don't have email addresses, even in the personal level, can still log into the Beekeeper platform just by scanning a QR code. They can walk up to one of the managers or any frontline manager. Um, that manager can open their phone, use the user directory to find that particular employee and pull up their specific QR code. The employee pulls up their phone, scans a QR code, and they're in to their account. So it simplifies the usage and allows us to achieve higher adoption rates because it's just easy to get into and easy to use. So you mentioned um, the percentage of non-desk workers there are. How how big is that really? Like how many people uh, in total? Two billion people worldwide. Okay, that's huge. And what sort of industries are you primarily targeting, at least with Beekeeper right now? We focus on industries with a high concentration of non-desk workers. Our key verticals that we're going into right now are manufacturing, retail, hospitality, construction, logistics, transportation. So when you start engaging with a customer, what are the things that you need to do to customize Beekeeper um, for their particular use case? And how long does that usually take? Interestingly, I think that we found that the needs of non-disc workers are fairly universal. One of the ways to split non-disc workers is into customer-facing non-disc workers and non-customer facing. Um, so if you take a look at hospitality versus manufacturing, the use cases become slightly different, but the needs of that worker remain relatively the same. Uh, they still need to have communication with their manager, with their peers, and receive information about what's happening within the organization. We're moving into a more operational direction, and we're bringing in more operational features for shift management, task management, which is still inherently important to most of the way they work during the day. One of the ways that we can differentiate based off of a particular industry is to build integrations with industry-specific tools. For instance, right now we're working with a number of different companies uh, in the hospitality industry to really focus and make sure that we are tying together and integrating with 
the tools that their employees are already using. And so that is one of the ways that we can customize for a particular industry. Otherwise, it's really about adjusting the way we speak and the way we talk to uh, those particular clients. Um, so what was the big idea or impetus behind the creation of Beekeeper? Interestingly, our founders are both uh, graduates of the ETH out of Zurich, which is the MIT of Europe. And they noticed a need, or actually they noticed uh, that in the United States, there were all these online flirting uh, platforms that had been popping up and there wasn't a really great answer that was emerging in Europe. So they created an anonymous online flirting platform called Spokal. And at the school that they were at, it had an incredibly high adoption rate. So it was interesting. One of the hotels in Zurich had a number of ETH students working with them. And it was the general manager of the hotel that saw how they were using the platform and actually realized the business case and reached out to both Chris and Flavio and had them come in for a meeting. Um, Chris and Flavio did a little bit more exploration and figured out that that idea actually really scales and that there was a big need to connect workers um, that didn't have access to email or computers and that their platform actually served a greater purpose than simply online flirting. But it was a fun way to get into the business. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, I guess one of the other things that's interesting about the company is that you're very global. You uh, were founded in Zurich, I believe. Uh, So where does Beekeeper have offices and how does the organization work across all the different locations that you're in? Right now we have offices in Zurich, San Francisco, Berlin, London, and we have a, actually we're opening up our Krakow office right now. And we have this really great tool called Beekeeper and it allows us to stay in touch and connected with one another. So we have agreed as an organization that most of our internal communication does happen through Beekeeper. And so we have our organization set up through different departments, um, group chats and individual chats so that we can really kind of work on the fly. Um, we also are heavy users of Zoom. Um, so Zurich stays up late to speak with the U.S., and my mornings generally start on a video call at 6 a.m. When you talk about using Beekeeper as your own tool, um, I, I think that that's pretty interesting. What other things can an organization do to keep in touch with their workforce? We are able to automate a lot of uh, frequently occurring messages. So you can take onboarding as a really great example. We can create a workflow of messages that would typically come out once a person starts and that message would actually be automated. And so as soon as a user signs on, they immediately receive the first message. And then after a set period of time, the second message in the queue automatically appears. Another great way that you can use that automation is to set up pre-populated messages that need to go out to the entire organization. You can script it beforehand and set it up to go out in a week from now, a month from now. Or you can set up reminders that also go out on a weekly basis or recurring. We offer surveys. It's a really great way to poll, um, to feel the pulse of the culture, the pulse of the organization. You can use it for compliance if there are any um, uh, mandates that say that you have to read a particular um, safety protocol. And then click that you have confirmed receipt, you can actually track that from the back end and see who has confirmed that they have indeed read that memorandum or um, who you still need to reach out to make sure that they have also seen it. So you have uh, an international workforce. Um, and given that, I'm sure you have to do a lot of localization. How widespread is usage around the world? We're currently operating in 137 different countries. So what are some of the challenges that non-desk workers face, especially in hospitality or other industries? 
When you're taking a look at the complexion of the non-desk workforce, it's very multicultural. And in a lot of the business settings, there are multiple languages being spoken, which creates great barriers to understanding um, even the delegation of the daily tasks. So one of the things that Beekeeper has that's very unique is inline translations. The user can not only set the um, Beekeeper app to their local language, but any posts. So my coworker Maria is originally from Russia. She can post something in Russian and I can receive the translation into my native language based off the settings that I have within the app. Okay. That's really, really cool, actually. So personally, uh, tell me about how you joined Beekeeper and, and what got you interested in being a part of this company? I've been in the hospitality industry nearly for 20 years. I'm, I grew up on the publishing side. And so I've seen a lot of technologies come through. Most of them don't work. Uh, inherently, hoteliers are very adverse to technology, especially new technology. So at a previous position, I met Julie Allegro, one of the seed investors in Beekeeper, and uh, she found out that I had a background in hospitality, which is one of the key verticals for us. And she's like, oh, you have to talk to Chris. And I was at first very skeptical because I'm like, technology, hmm, <laughs> not sure. But I sat down with Chris, I took a look into the company, and it just made sense. Um it's technology, but it really emphasizes the human connection. And that's really what the hospitality industry is all about. It's being able to deliver an exceptional guest experience. And you have to have happy employees and you have to have really great communication with the people that are working for you in order to achieve that guest satisfaction. So it wasn't necessarily that this was a technology. It was more than that. It's really where technology meets people. So when you talk about the hospitality industry being averse to adopting new technology, what's your sales pitch? How do you convince a company that they need Beekeeper? That it's simple to implement and easy to use. Um, there's really very little training because the application is intuitive. So it doesn't require any infrastructure on the part of the person who's buying it or the company that's buying it because it's cloud-based. Uh, we turn on that app for that particular company. They log in their users and it feels, the app itself looks and feels like a lot of the consumer tools that everybody's already using. And so it's very easy to navigate around. And then once you've been adopted within an organization, what's the onboarding look like for the workers themselves um, and what can they expect? We have a fantastic customer success group that works very hard with our uh, clients to teach them first how to use it from an organizational level. And then we have packages and roll-up programs that go all the way down to the end users, um, down to a printed out sheet where it gives them instructions about how to actually log on to the beekeeper system. So when you talk about what your selling point is, uh, it's not just about communication, right? And so what's the return on investment for, you know, somebody in the hospitality industry or uh, a company that's looking to adopt Beekeeper? Labor is a really big issue and it's an incredibly steep cost right now. Every time an employee turns over in the hospitality industry, it costs about $4,000 to replace, train, and outfit that person with a uniform. So if we can reduce their turnover even by 1%, it more than covers the price of the beekeeper platform. And just from a cost perspective, um, how are you priced? Are you like on a per seat basis or a licensing deal or how does that work? It's a SaaS model, so it's per person per month. Okay. So give a typical use case for what it would look like for a hospitality worker to use beekeeper. 
Absolutely. We recently had a client in Washington, D.C., the Watergate Hotel, uh, let us know that there was a guest that had left a book in the car and the valet found it and through a series of messages between coworkers were able to figure out what room the guest was in and the guy was able to personally deliver the book back, but he was also able to write a note uh, to that guest specifically mentioning a conversation that they had had. And the guest came back down to the um, front desk and was so thankful that that book had been returned to her and mentioned how absolutely sweet it was that the valet took the time to write her personalized note. So the front desk person was then able to share that story and congratulate the valet for a job well done. So there are a number of use cases that were in there. Um, a, the immediate transfer of information so that we could find the owner of the book, and then rewards and recognition um, because the front desk person was able to give a shout out to the valet and let everybody know that, hey, this guy just did a really amazing job to encourage more great things like that to happen on, on site. Another great instance is we have the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, Texas. There was a, a housekeeper that was uh, working for them that only spoke Vietnamese. And she had to travel in one hour on um, one way just to check her schedule every single week. And it was a big personal burden for her because she had to find childcare. It was time away from her family. And so when she found out that she could check her schedule on Beekeeper, she almost cried tears of joy because that was such a huge um, and significant savings of time for her. And that made a big impact on her life. Okay. And from the organizational standpoint, I imagine it's a, it saves a lot of time for them as well. Yes, absolutely. They're able to automate a lot of uh, frequently asked questions. They're able to um, speak immediately with people. Uh, they're able to get almost immediate feedback through the survey system. So crisis communication is actually another big use case that we have. Um, and talking about that immediacy and that flow of information back and forth in a time of emergency. Um, if you take a look at the situation that happened in Las Vegas a few months ago, if there were protocol set up or if they had beekeeper, um, they would have been able to communicate immediately that there was a situation. And just like you can have different messages backlogged waiting to go, um, you can pre-populate messages and determine exactly which groups or which you know portions of the organization, um, if not the entire organization, that they need to be sent out to in different emergency scenarios. So we could have um, definitely been helpful in you know time of need. We also work with a number of properties in South Beach, and they use us very extensively during the hurricanes just to check in, make sure that everybody was safe, that everyone knew when they needed to return to work and communicate um, schedules and shifts um, as they were coming back. It sounds like you're talking a lot about the um, use case in hospitality in the U.S., um, how much of your business is based here? How much of it is in Europe? How much of it is, you know, worldwide? Our roots are in Europe. Um, so I think that the majority of the business is between Europe and the United States. The United States is definitely a big market opportunity for us. And I think that this is the first year where our um, total revenue uh, coming in is equal between Europe and the United States. How's it different being a part of an organization that's based in Europe? And what that might mean either culturally or, or technologically, um, just in the way that the company operates. What's interesting is I think that we can get even more precise and talk about working for a Swiss company. Um, 
we're definitely, you know, it's great. The product is incredibly stable because it's Swiss over-engineered in the best way possible. Um, and from the corporate perspective, we are so well organized. I joined the company when I think there were about 30, 35 people. And the amount of processes that had been laid out and documented for such an early stage company was mind-blowing. The amount of attention that was paid to every detail was incredible and definitely very different than a lot of startups that I've seen around Silicon Valley. What's one controversial opinion that you have that's very strongly held? Champagne should be served in corporate meetings. (laughs) Okay. Can you elaborate on that? It's one of my trademarks. Um, when I came into the organization, there was, uh, the U S office was just getting, um, started and there was, a communication gap between Zurich and the U.S. on the marketing side of the business because there hadn't been a full-time marketer in the U.S. So in order to ease tensions, what I would do would I I had this uh, standing Thursday afternoon meeting. And so at 4 o'clock every Thursday, I would invite everybody to sit down and I would share what marketing was doing. And exactly at 4 o'clock, I'd pop a bottle of champagne to make sure that everybody was there. And it turned into one of those really nice things where people were relaxed and felt comfortable asking questions and were more open to integrating the sales and uh, marketing functions. So what happens if beekeeper becomes ubiquitous? The perception of the workplace divide completely disappears because employees will have access to information whenever they need it in the moment and will also be receiving clear and concise communication. I'm just going to push back on that a little bit. It sounds a little creepy to have your organization always on your phone. Um, do you do you get pushback from workers at all about that? Yes, we do. Um, the pushback that we get from the workers is it's very big brother. And we don't really have the ability to track exactly where they are. Um, and most organizations are not using it for that purpose, but I mean, if you want to talk about Big Brother, I mean, there's so many broader topics that we can talk about there that I think that having your workplace, you know, perceptively see where you are is the least of your concerns. One of the other things to consider with that level of transparency is that there's an incredible amount of bottom-up communication that begins to happen. And so the company leaders actually get to have more insight, more access into what's really happening within the ranks. And so we've had a number of organizations think that the bottom-up communication has actually turned out to be more of a positive, um, even though they had initial hesitations because they were able to identify problems and solve problems sooner because they came to the surface just based off of the immediacy of the communication platform. Right. So actually, kind of curious what the communications that you see, um, what sort of data can that provide to the organizations um, and how can that data become actionable? We can provide engagement and user data. Um, We can also give organizations a perception of what content employees are really gravitating to and what, you know, the employees think matter. From a data perspective, it's interesting. We have a client in Zurich who can take a look at the engagement trends and within three months predict when somebody's going to turn over. So I'm excited for what we'll be able to do with the data in the future if this guy is able to just take a look at the dashboard and identify that now. So he can proactively go and speak and work with the employees that are potentially at risk to reduce his turnover, which of course is very expensive. You had mentioned crisis communications earlier. How does Beekeeper help deal with that? 
With crisis communications, you can pre-populate a number of messages and send them out uh, at the time of need, and they can um, go out with a confirmation receipt. So when the message is received by the employee, the employee has to double tap uh, to confirm receipt of the message, which then you know allows the employer to identify who has already read the message. So one of the questions can be as simple as, are you safe? Yes or no? And the employer can see in real time as people are answering who's safe, who's not, and really identify on a really micro level, you know, who else they need to research and go and look for, check the property to make sure is safe. Right now, what's your biggest challenge to adoption? What's the biggest reason that a potential customer might say no? One of the biggest pushbacks that we get right now um, is concerning labor laws and the bring your own device policies that are out there. Using a device at home could potentially mean that the employee is able to bill overtime and employers are really hesitant to allow that into the organizations. Um, And I think they oftentimes overlook the benefits of an employee having the ability to check their schedule or communicate with a manager to let them know that they're not going to be able to make it in um, or swap a shift for that particular day. The other thing that we have um, that's recently coming up as it relates to the bring your own device policy is who gets to pay for the phone bill. And so we have a fair play rule that we put into place that we have all of our employees uh, using the platform agree to that says that they will only use the device at work and on the employer's uh, Wi-Fi system to get around some of those. When you're operating in so many different countries, um, how much do you have to worry about labor law or regulations? Um, and does your approach to some countries differ as a result um, just in what you offer or in the sales and marketing process? We operate from a no matter what basis. So our our technology was built in Switzerland and we operate very heavily in the EU, which means that we are very beholden to GDPR. So everything that we've done has been built to GDPR standards and we have our ISO certification. So the level of security that we bring is top of the line and it's irregardless of the market that we're going into. And what's interesting about that is a lot of companies in the U.S. market don't realize the extent of GDPR and the fact that it extends far beyond the boundaries of the EU and that U.S. companies operating with anybody that has a you know European residency is subject to GDPR rules and GDPR regulations. And so I think that in the European market, of course, it's a standard. But over here, um, we don't change the way we approach that. It is one of the things that is comforting to know that we have the companies that work for us covered from that standpoint. Well, Corey, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me here. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. We release new episodes every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.